This podcast is distributed for informational purposes, and listeners should refer to important disclosures in the blog and the website for more information. Welcome to the WealthCast, where host Charles Bowinski and his guests share their global expertise and the most current information for your financial planning needs. Each inspiring interview will help you to maximize your financial stability and growth so you can have more time doing the things you love. And now, here's Charles. Hello and welcome to the WealthCast. I'm your host, Charles Bowinski. On this podcast, we give you the information that you need to know to be a good steward of your wealth and to enjoy the luxury of financial independence. As an investment professional and passionate fly fisherman, the subject of sustainable investing is very interesting to me. Today's guest, Sam Adams, CEO of Vert Asset, and I will discuss the current state of sustainable investing and what the future may hold. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Sam, thank you so much for joining me today on the WealthCast. Just delighted to have you here to talk about ESG investing. I'm really happy to be here. Thanks, Chess. We've known each other a long time, and I know there's been some uh, evolution in your career over, over the years, and I think it ties in really well with the ESG story. Why don't we sort of start at 60,000 feet with that story and go into the details? Well, Chess, you know, we know each other from my what I call my first career, which was uh, 20 years at Dimensional Fund Advisors, helping financial advisors uh, create more successful investment experiences for their clients. And I am very passionate about sustainability. So my second act, if you will, is to help investment advisors create more sustainable investment experiences for their clients. So let's talk about the, the commonality between the two in terms of just um, evidence, et cetera. Why don't we tie those two things together? Yeah. Well, I think we should probably, the, the first thing we should do is probably define what we mean by sustainable investing, because there's, a, <laughs> there's probably a thousand different ways to, to do it or even thinking about it. And uh, it's gotten really popular in the last couple of years. And the investment industry has noticed, right? And so yeah, they've launched hundreds of products uh, to kind of soak up that demand. Now, that's the good news because now investors have more options and they can do more with their portfolios. But the downside to that is, is that with that proliferation of products uh, has come a proliferation of names and terms and nobody seems to be reading from the same playbook. So people will use terms like ESG and SRI and responsible investing and impact investing interchangeably. And the investor and the investment advisor is left kind of clueless of what, what everyone's talking about. So I, I like to describe the landscape of sustainable investing in, in three categories. It breaks it down to make it a little bit more digestible. And I think most types of sustainable investing can fit into these three categories. And those three categories are ESG, which stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance, SRI, which stands for Social Responsible Investing, and Impact Investing. And what I typically try to do is lay out a, a framework for the, the range of options there. And so let's, let's bookend those three options with two things that I know most people are really familiar with, 
Conventional investing, we'll put that on the far left. Uh, and that's where you're just trying to maximize financial return for any given level of risk, right? We're all, we're all comfortable with that. Sure. Mm-hmm. And most investors, I think by number, do it that way. And if they have an environmental or a social concern or something that they want to help out with, they usually do that in their philanthropy bucket, right? So think of that as the over on the right-hand side. And we have those two bookends, conventional investing on the left, where you make as much money as possible, and then philanthropy, where you give it away. Yeah, in the, in the old days, uh, we used to tell uh, or advise clients that if they wanted to invest in a socially responsible or ESG manner, they could take some of the profits they earned and donate that to whatever charity or cause they thought was important. And, and that's changing, right? The, the, the ability to, to fine-tune that is, is becoming, you just have a better ability to do it, but it's still in the evolutionary period. Right. It's definitely changing. And, and we, as, as an investment professional, I used to recommend that to investment advisors to say, don't do that socially responsible investing stuff. You'd be better off maximizing financial return and contributing more to charity where you can have some real impact. I don't say that anymore. Uh, and here's why. The original form of sustainable investing was social responsible investing. Um, that's one of the main categories. And it originated, we think, from deeply ethical investors or religious investors who said, I'm trying to maximize total return, but I have some no-go areas. I, you know, I can't invest in alcohol or tobacco stocks or gambling or pornography. Or Now there's all kinds. There's weapons. There's nuclear power. You know, Sudan, South Africa. You can exclude all kinds of things. Sure. And now it's gotten even more sophisticated. You can invest for things that you care about, Right. But in all of these cases, in in the bucket that I call SRI or social responsible investing, the investor is balancing their pursuit of economic value, right, with their individual values. So for these people, it doesn't matter what returns tobacco stocks are going to have. You know, they're either a cancer survivor or they just hate tobacco. They're just they're not going to invest in it no matter what. Right. Right, There's a balance there. Right. And, and we've had uh, examples like the Quakers in the United States over 100 years ago uh, encouraged their followers to not invest in any companies that profited from slave labor. Okay, so it's not just the products, it's also the processes or the ways the companies do things. So that category was the main category for a long time. And then we defined another category called impact. I put SRI right in the middle right there between philanthropy, um, investing conventionally and philanthropy, SRI is right in the middle because you're balancing your need for economic value and individuals. To the right of that, right next to philanthropy, I put impact investing. Okay, and impact investing, which now people use that term for everything, but originally impact investing was a private placement into a specific project or a company or, a, or you know, or, a, or, or something where you were trying to alleviate one specific need housing or you know whatever it might be poverty or hunger or you know something and here's the thing it was originally wealthy capitalists who said my nonprofit approach to this my philanthropy approach to uh, solving this problem isn't solving it it's alleviating it for some time but we're still sending money to sub-Saharan Africa and food and medicine and resources. It's, it's only 
making it a little less worse for some time. And they thought maybe if we put a for-profit enterprise in there, it could continue to provide those services on your on its own. So let's use a, a common parable. We've heard the story. You give a man a fish, he eats for a day. You teach a man to fish, he eats for a lifetime. You give that man some capital, help him buy a boat and hire some people and run a fishing business, maybe he helps feed his village for a lifetime. I had to work a fishing analogy in there for you. Thank you yes. very much. I appreciate it. <laughs> so from your view, you've got SRI in the middle and then impact and then ESG, where does that, where does that fall? Yeah, so ESG is on the left right next to conventional investing. And here's why. ESG has been adopted by some of the largest pension plans and biggest asset managers in the world. And where it started from their perspective is that they were seeing things blow up in their portfolio, like the Bhopal incident in India many years ago, or the Exxon Valdez spill, or more recently, Deepwater Horizon and Volkswagen. And these companies are doing something wrong, right? right? And they get caught out and there's a big scandal or a problem and the stock price gets decimated. And so they wanted to find out if there was something that they could see in the data or from the company that would help them identify these risks beforehand. And so they started looking beyond the balance sheet, beyond the income statement, right? past the normal company reports and saying, okay, what's going on here? And that data was called extra financial or non-financial data. And then it started to be calling environmental, social, and governance data. So let's give some examples. This company makes widgets and they rely on free and abundant natural resources to make those widgets. The question, which isn't on a balance sheet or on the income statement is, are those natural resources going to continue to be free and abundant as the company grows? Or on the other side, <clears throat> is there any pollution that they create when they make these widgets? And is it going to affect a, a community downstream or their local community as their company grows? Is that something we should like factor into the risks and opportunities of this company? Or how do they treat their employees? Are their customers happy? Do they have risk in their supply chain? Are they relying on cheap labor in Southeast Asia that might have some human rights or some safety issues? These things, you know, don't show up on the annual report of the 10K, but they could have a big impact on the company. And we have examples of this through time. So that is how ESG investing got started. And now it's evolved. It's only about 15 years old. Now it's evolved to the point where these ESG data are becoming codified and standardized so that it becomes more like regular financial information on the company, right? So my, one of my favorite examples is in 2012, the UK required all companies that are listed on the London Stock Exchange to report their greenhouse gas emissions, okay? So at that moment, that number went from an extra financial figure to a financial figure. So from, you know, from an investor's perspective, just to tie the, to everything together here, the data is now, uh, there's, there's more of it. It's more reliable. It's statistically, it's, it's becoming more sound because the sample size is getting bigger and thereby you can make better decisions using the data than you could 15 years ago or so when we were defaulting to just donating what we thought were the profits from causes that we didn't want to support. 
Yeah. I'm not going to tell you the data is perfect. It still has ways to go. But of course, one of the financial advisors that we work with has a great analogy around this. He says, do you remember when we used to go on a trip in a car? We open the glove box. We pull out this paper piece of paper. It was called a map. And you'd, you know, you figure out where you were and where you wanted to go and you'd plot a course and and it worked. We got there. Right. Well, we don't do that anymore, right? Because we have GPS, right? So it's more information. It's more up-to-date information that gives, tells us where the road closures are, where the traffic is, the fastest route, the scenic route, the, where the cops are sometimes, right? It's just more information. And so why not use that to help us smooth our journey, if you will? Now, for the person who is sustainably minded in general, they want better outcomes for people and for planet in their pursuit of profit. Sustainable investing in the form of ESG investing makes a lot of sense. It's very attractive to that person because it doesn't have to compromise on risk and return. It can have the same risk and return characteristics as the conventional portfolio. That's what the big institutions are doing. When CalPERS and the Norwegian government and the Japanese pension plans and the, you know, seven of the 10 largest pension funds in the world do this ESG investing. They're not compromising on risk and return because they're the fiduciaries for millions of their citizens, right? So that's very attractive to the sustainable-minded investor who has just a general desire to make the world a better place. The SRI category in the middle there is for the investor who has those no-go areas or is super passionate about particular ways and things that are done in their portfolio. And then impact investing really is a for-profit version of philanthropy. It's like private equity or private debt. You could get your money back, but the real purpose is solving that problem. So with that spectrum, investors can choose, okay, what's right for me? Oh, my retirement assets that I need to rely on for my family going forward. Maybe ESG is the most appropriate, right? for the money that I want to have an impact with and, and, and do good work with and provide some catalytic capital, maybe uh, impact investing is the right way to go. And if I have some deeply held beliefs about certain things, maybe SRI is the way to go. So is it possible to quantify at all the trade-off in returns going from traditional investing over to impact investing, et cetera? Is it, is it a quantifiable number? In other words, if I want to do the socially, you know, social responsible investing, what should I accept in lower returns, if any, for doing that? Well, you would, you would say that in general, that spectrum plays out. Like ESG is closest to conventional in terms of risk and return. Yep. SRI is a little bit further away. You get more variance. And impact is more like private equity or private debt. You know, you could you know, triple your money, but you could lose it 100% as well, right? Makes sense. And so that's a general category, but I want to be more careful than that because within ESG, you could go really deep focus into ESG and have a lot of difference between market returns. Same with SRI. So I like to look at these things in terms of a tilt, much like we tilt our portfolios internationally and to value stocks and to small cap stocks and to profitability and momentum, these factors in returns. If we say we want to track the market closely, we can do a small tilt to ESG, right? If we want to really get sustainable, we can go, you know, all in, yep. right? And, and our portfolio will look a lot different than the market. So it's an investor choice. So Sam, the tools are becoming 
sophisticated enough to allow investors to start to quantify those tilts, those trade-offs. Yes. Yes. So, for example, um, there are now uh, ETFs and index-like ESG funds. There are factor-based ones. There's uh, actively managed ones. There's there's focused funds. There's, there's all kinds of options now, hundreds of them. At my old firm, Dimensional, I was part of the team that launched the Sustainability Core Funds back in 2008. So they have more than a 10-year track record now. So that gives people a sense that, oh, okay, this is like a market portfolio, right? But it's tilted towards sustainability. You can design a portfolio either to be really close to the benchmark or uh, a lot different, as you will. This has sort of transpired over the last 15 years, this evolution, uh, I think, as you described it. What do you see five, 10 years from today? What, what's going to change? Two things I think are going to happen. One is that um, climate risk is becoming more obvious to people, right? The companies are facing the physical changes from climate. We're also facing the transition changes from climate. People are realizing that renewable energy, okay, in the, over the long term is cheaper uh, and cleaner. And so we're going to transition away from a fossil fuel or carbon-based economy. And so conventional investors, whether they're sustainably minded or not, right, are saying, I need to integrate those risks, some of those ESG risks into my normal portfolio. And that's happening already. But someone's going to say, okay, I'm not going to pay attention to sea level rise because I'm not a sustainable investor. No, <laughs> what they're going to do is they say, I'm going to pay attention to that. I'm just not a sustainably branded uh, strategy. Right. So that's going to happen. ESG is going to just become part of the normal investing, uh, conventional investing. But then there will be a, a, a group of investors who will say, I'm going to embrace that across my portfolio. And there'll be a, 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 also a group of investors who say, I want to really tilt more to that. And uh, that's fantastic. For me, the whole point, the whole reason why I left Dimensional and started my own company here to, to promote sustainable investing is because I think we need to do this, okay? What we want capitalism to do is to evolve from something that only counts what it can measure, right? Like PE ratios and book-to-market ratios mm-hmm. to counting the things that matter. Like we care about people's well-being, we care about clean air, right? Just because it's hard to put a price on that doesn't mean we shouldn't. Now, I'm a firm believer in markets and the power of capitalism. So if we can get capitalism to start pricing those things, capital allocation decisions made by companies and by investors will reflect that we care about those things, right? Yeah. If pollution is a cost, capitalism will steer us away from those costs. And the problem is these things have been up until now externalities. They're not priced by the market. So as, as these factors, whether it be pollution or global warming or what, whatever it may be, become priced, you'll be able to more accurately tilt your portfolio away or to those, depending on your yeah. point of view. And, and the most exciting thing for me in this is that we're seeing massive changes in the corporate environment because of this. There are companies who are pledging to be climate neutral. They're, they're all making these commitments because they know that this is a risk for them long-term. They're responding to investor demands. These big pension funds and now a growing cohort of individual investors are saying, hey, we're part of this 
group of investors who want and demand sustainability from the companies we invest in. Now, in the United States, one out of every four professionally managed dollars is managed on some form of sustainability criteria. So that means a big public company is looking at their investor base and sees, hmm, 25% of my potential investors are demanding I have an ESG report, I, I, I perform better on this. In Europe, it's 50% of all money is managed in that way. So companies realize that they, they want to get better at this. And we can see that in their performance. You know, 15 years ago, only 15% of the S&P 500 companies reported to this organization called CDP, which, which collects climate and pollution data. Now it's over 85% of those companies. And what's measured and what's reported gets managed. And so from the point of view of the capital markets, it's, I don't know if you would term it, Adam Smith's invisible hand is forcing, forcing the hand of companies to address these issues rather than regulation. It's competing for capital, et cetera. I'm glad you brought that up. As you know, Chess, I worked in the, the the revolution of investment advice, right, from a commission-based delivery system selling product to investors to an advice-based proposition, right, where you're working for the, the investor. Now, around the world, I worked in Australia, I worked in the U.S., I worked in the U.K., the regulator had different approaches to this. And in Australia, uh, and then later in the UK, the regular effectively banned commissions. The investment advisor community had to move to a way of working for the client and charging a fee. That's great news. But in the US, we got there too, right? We didn't have a regulator do it. The market drove the change. Now, you can argue which one's better. I think we need both in, 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 in different particular cases overall with regards to sustainability. But the great thing about a market-driven decision is it's not political, right? It doesn't flip-flop back and forth, right? right. I like to say Obama didn't kill coal and Trump isn't going to save coal. The market price has decided that coal is not competitive with natural gas and renewables. That, that's that's a kind of a final, final right. decision, right? It right. doesn't matter how we feel about it, right? So again, if markets are pricing this stuff, we can kind of not be as concerned about the policy and the regulation environment. And so there is the kernel, the absolute connector between your two careers. It's that markets work, right? In both cases. Absolutely. So here, here's what happened to me, Chaz, when I made that connection, right? I was a, I was a climber, I'm a climber, I'm a passionate, I love mountains, and I, I've seen the kind of the devastation that's happening to them as uh, over time, and I wanted to protect them. So I used to invest for total return, conventional bucket, give lots to, as much as I could to charities that helped protect the natural environment and mountains in particular. And that was how it went. And then when I realized that this sustainable investing movement could actually help, like I could use my capital and help other people use their capital to change capitalism, to start making solutions for our climate, our transition to a low carbon economy. I got so excited, I had to leave what I considered to be the best job in the world, right, at Dimensional and start this, this company. You know, I was listening to your, uh, one of your earlier podcasts with Dr. Joseph Pika, and he was talking about having a mission and how entrepreneurs just feel compelled they have to do this. Uh, and when I realized the, the synergy of this solution, that it was going to get the capital markets, which I'm a big fan of, to 
take care of the mountains and, and the environment, which I'm a big fan of, I just, I feel compelled to do it. And the momentum that's occurring industry wide, but people like you pursuing that passion and investors in general is going to be a big component of solving the long-term problem. The number in the United States is doubling every year, the amount of money that's going into ESG mutual funds and ETFs. It's incredible, the growth, but also the number of companies that are changing the way they operate is as well. Now, a lot of people point to the business uh, roundtable last year saying that they're going to change their model of capitalism from a profit first shareholder model to a stakeholder model where they're looking after people, communities, uh, the planet. That's not a leading indicator. That's a laggard. Those are, that's a tacit admission that capitalism is changing, okay, and everyone needs to get on board. Uh, and I think that's just fantastic because we're going to get the same efficiency of capital allocation and markets working, okay, but we're just going to start integrating those things that we care about. Well, Sam, as you know, I'm a passionate fly fisherman, and as a, as a passionate fly fisherman, that's music to my ears. Yeah. Um, to hear that there's progress being made on this, on this really important front. So, you know, with that, I, I just want to thank you so much for spending the last half an hour with me and talking to me about what you're passionate about, which clearly more and more people are becoming passionate about every day. I hope to be able to have the opportunity to talk to you about it again in the future as as things continue to evolve and i'm sure there are going to be changes but i really appreciate your perspective thanks for having me Chaz, and i'd love to continue the conversation as you as you can see i'm very passionate about this and i love i just love talking about the, the solutions that are coming down the pike to help us with these problems well thanks again sam Thank you so much for joining Sam Adams of Vert Asset and myself today to discuss the current state of the world in terms of sustainable investing and what the future may hold. If you'd like to learn more about Vert Asset, you can visit their website at www.vertasset.com or see the show notes for today's episode. Thanks again for joining us. Have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to The Wealthcast. You can get all the details on this episode, our guests, and everything you need to know so you can create and enjoy the luxury of financial independence by visiting us at moderawealth.com slash thewealthcast. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you catch every episode. We'll see you next time on The Wealthcast. This has been a production of Twin Flame Studios.